This is the Gender Justice Brief, a podcast of gender justice. We fight for gender equity by breaking down legal, structural, and cultural barriers and expanding protections. We want to see all people thrive, regardless of their gender, gender expression, and sexual orientation. This week on the Gender Justice Brief, Special Projects Advisor Erin May Quaid interviews legal director Jess Braverman about a quiet court victory in Gender Justice's landmark case, Dovey, Minnesota. The victory struck down a slate of state abortion restrictions back in summer of 2022, and the two discuss how a state equal rights amendment would further cement abortion rights for all Minnesotans. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Gender Justice Brief. My name is Erin May Quaid. I am the Special Projects Advisor, and joining me is my esteemed colleague, <laughs> Gus Braverman. <laughs> I'm the esteemed legal director of this highly prestigious organization. Yes. And today we are going to talk about our landmark case, Doe v. Minnesota. Um, I'm going to give a background, but Jess, feel free to interject at any point in yeah. time. It all started in 2019. Jess and do you I remember 20. Like, what do you remember about 2019? Very little. You were training for an Iron Man. I was. Call? And yeah. you took me out to eat at a Noodles and Co. Yep. Okay. And you biked to work really often. And we had just started working together. It was a really wild time. Well, I was, was childless. <laughs> I feel like it was like more innocent time, like simpler and more yeah. innocent times. I don't know. Yeah. But. I will say this. We were already telling people this was May in 2019 that they were going to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's one of the biggest things I remember. So we, Gender Justice, in partnership with the Lawyering Project, filed a lawsuit on behalf of two providers, anonymous providers, the First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis and Our Justice, challenging a lot of Minnesota's abortion restriction claiming they were unconstitutional and or vague and or violated religious liberty. And those restrictions included a 24-hour waiting period, a state-mandated uh, script filled with medical mis- and disinformation and misleading claims, a ban on advanced practice clinicians providing abortion care early in pregnancy, requiring minors to notify both of their parents before accessing abortion care, regardless of their relationships with one or both of their parents. And part of the reason that... Um, this lawsuit was filed is that there was a 1995 Minnesota Supreme Court decision called Doe v. Gomez. And in that decision, the Supreme Court had said that the Minnesota Constitution provides broader protections for abortion rights than the United States Constitution and that the government can't put its thumb on the scale or preference one pregnancy outcome carrying to term over another abortion. So that the state couldn't have a, a preference or an opinion or try to sway Minnesotans towards one pregnancy outcome or another. And so because of that 1995 decision, Gender Justice and the Lawyering Project and our plaintiffs felt that the abortion restrictions that I just mentioned were not only harming patients, but unconstitutional per the Minnesota Constitution. And we filed this lawsuit in May 29, 2019, and it proceeded through court. We got our decision. Jess, do you remember this? <laughs> well, I was in trial when we got our decision. Oh, I was breastfeeding my baby because I was still on parental leave. No, um, I was in trial and everyone was waiting. So they were like, well, we need to know from the lawyers what this opinion means. And we're like, we're in trial. It was, it felt really chaotic. It was chaotic. So it was July 11th, 
1992. So it was about two weeks after the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, a district court ruled in favor of our plaintiffs saying that the abortion restrictions were unconstitutional and blocked their enforcement. So that was a very timely win because we did file our case with the foresight that the United States Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And we won our case right after they did. And we were only, you know, it was three years. Yeah. And by shoring up uh, state constitutional protections, we were able to make sure that even when the federal constitution doesn't protect abortion, our state constitution here in Minnesota still does. Yes, exactly. And, you know, since since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, since the Dobbs decision, abortions in Minnesota have increased by about 40 percent because every state around Minnesota experienced hostility that they have, they have legislative leaders that are hostile to abortion rights. I, North Dakota and South Dakota have trigger bans. Wisconsin had a trigger ban from the 1800s that went into effect, but has since they've since resumed performing abortions in, in Wisconsin and Iowa performs them up to a certain point in pregnancy. So, you know, we knew that Minnesota was going to be an important geographic and general location for people to access abortion care. And we were, I mean, we were right on schedule expanding access as the rest of the country, a lot of the country lost access. So that's Dobie, Minnesota, July 11th, 2022. But we're going to talk about Dobie, Minnesota, because the state, the case is still ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think yeah. you're tired of hearing about this case, imagine litigating it for all these years. So tell me how this case is still alive. Legal Director Braverman. Yeah. So the court ruled in you know, in July 2022, as we said, and then it entered final judgment, which is usually like the end of the case, right? That's the last thing that happens at the district court. And then from there, you go on to appeals and whatnot. But in this case, on like the 11th hour, like 10 minutes before an appeal deadline would have passed, this organization called Moms filed to intervene in the lawsuit Although I don't know that you can intervene in a lawsuit that's not going on. Like at that point, it's I think we're done. But they filed to intervene in the lawsuit. At that point, I think Aaron and and I think legislators in Minnesota had repealed a number of Minnesota restrictions, meaning our we got a court to say they're unconstitutional, but the lawmakers actually took the laws off the books so that they're just not there anymore. One exception was the two-parent notification requirement, which is still ruled unconstitutional, but it wasn't repealed. So it's just lurking. It's sitting there. And moms, what they really want is to revive that law. So they're trying to intervene. And the first thing they have to do is ask the court for permission to intervene. So they're not like making arguments about the law yet, or they're not supposed to be really right now. They're saying, hey, court, we meet all the requirements let us in. And moms are not, that's a group. It's not just a group of like random moms, but what does that stand for? It might be a group of random moms. Moms is like mothers offering maternal support, I think is what mom stands for, but I think it is a group of moms. I don't know when the organizations began to exist. I don't know if it was created for the purpose of intervening in this lawsuit or not. However, moms knew members of moms admitted that they knew about this case from the beginning right Mm -hmm. so they they didn't file to intervene until like way late but they a number of them admitted they've known about this case all along Mm -hmm. 
And intervention, if it does happen, does it usually happen at the beginning of a case? Well, one of the factors of intervention is you have to prove that your application to intervene is timely, which doesn't mean is the case technically open. It means like, why are you intervening now and not earlier? So in this case, there's not a reason like they knew about this case all along. And what they want to do is not just intervene to appeal. They want to intervene to like go back in time and relitigate the entire case, which is like pretty much unheard of. And they admit they knew about this case from the beginning, but they waited until they didn't like the outcome and they didn't like the state's strategy of not appealing. And then they were like, "Okay, well, now we're going to intervene. And that's typically what, what courts call that is like the wait and see approach. Like you sit back and wait to see how the case turns out. And then you like jump in to get a second bite at the apple when you don't like the outcome. You're not supposed to do that. It's pretty well settled, but not allowed. And that's that's in my view, that's basically what they've admitted to doing. Oh, wow. And yeah, that does seem like the whole trial was over. The judge took the time to come to his conclusion, write his opinion, issue his opinion. And then they were like, no, we want to do the trial over again. That we Well, we didn't have a trial. We, it was it was oh. summary judgment, which is where okay. you say to the court, hey, we don't really need to have a trial. Like these are the facts that everyone agrees on. And based on these facts, we should win. And that's that's how we won. It's called summary judgment. It's the last step before trial. But this case had been going on at that point for three years. There were dozens of depositions, thousands of pages of discovery exchanged, like at least a dozen expert reports passed back and forth. Right. Like this was a lot like there was a lot of litigation in this case. And to come in after it's over and say we want to restart the whole thing from (laughs) scratch is kind of it's unheard of, you know. And there had been other intervention attempts. So it's not like people didn't know they could do that. Correct. The court and the court noted like, look, there. so there first was a group pro life action ministries attempted to intervene a few months after the case was filed. The Minnesota Republican Senate. So in 2019, the Senate was Republican. They filed to intervene after that. Then towards the end of the case, a county attorney, a prosecutor in Minnesota's smallest county, Traverse County, tried to intervene. So, you know, the court did point out like there were lots of opportunities. Mm -hmm. You you can't just wait until you don't like the outcome and then restart the whole case. And so when the group filed to intervene, they filed with the district court. The district court said no. And so they appealed that decision. Uh, to the appeals court, correct? Exactly. So they took that decision to the Court of Appeals and the Minnesota Court of Appeals typically does hear all appeals that come to it so long as those appeals are like proper, right? Like if it's an issue that you can appeal at a time you're allowed to appeal it, the Minnesota Court of Appeals then will hear it. It's a different story for the Minnesota Supreme Court, which is the next step. Wow. So tell me what the Court of Appeals said. So the Court of Appeals basically said, you're too late. There's no excuse for waiting this long in order to appeal. And it's prejudicial to the parties because now you're asking them to go back in time and spend time, money, and have all this uncertainty to relitigate the entire case that has been going on for three years. You can't can't do this, right? Like it's prejudicial, it's too late, so we're not going to let you do that. It's not like a... In terms of 
case law on intervention, there's nothing special or unique about this opinion. It's consistent with decades of Minnesota case law and intervention, which is like really regular. It's 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 a it's a really yeah, it's a really like unremarkable ruling by the Court of Appeals. And the reason I say that is not because it's unremarkable doesn't mean poorly written, right? Unremarkable just means there's nothing unusual at all about this ruling. Like, you're, it, of course, they're too late. So the next step would be appealing to the Minnesota Supreme Court. And what you do is you file what's called a petition for review or a PFR. And you say, Supreme Court, I want you to hear my case. And you typically have to argue to the Supreme Court, this is a new issue. This is an exciting issue. The Court of Appeals got it wrong. Like, the, the Supreme Court can say no to any case for any reason. They typically do say no, like just like the U.S. Supreme Court, right? Like most cases, they they do not agree to hear. You have to kind of make a pitch. Yeah. Like, why is this worth the Supreme Court's time? And so the reason I bring up that this is kind of an unremarkable opinion is because the Supreme Court doesn't really need to weigh in on the question of, is it too late to intervene in a lawsuit to relitigate the whole thing when you knew about it the whole time, but you waited till the 11th hour? Like, that's not really new or novel or something that or interesting. It's not really something that warrants Supreme Court intervention. So they might just not agree to hear it. Okay. If they do agree to hear it, then we have briefing in front of the Supreme Court. There's argument there. And then we wait for the Supreme Court to issue a ruling. And again, this is a ruling on intervention. It's not, not a ruling on whether the law is constitutional. First, they have to intervene and then they make their case. And then we go back in time to 2019. What's the first thing you're going to do if we have to go back to 2019? Well, I got to get back in shape. I can't run a half Ironman now. <laughs> I will be taking several naps because I will, again, be childless. Yeah. yeah um, I'll be like biking around town without a care in the world. I'll be eating noodles and company and yep. staying up till one in the morning. It's going to be great. Perfect. So I guess, was it, that wasn't your first time arguing in front of the Court of Appeals, was it? On this case, no, it was yeah, not. No. So would this be, if it goes to the Supreme Court, your first time arguing for the Supreme Court? Yeah, the Supreme Court has not accepted review of any. So the I think the pro-life action ministries group tried to appeal. Yeah. The Supreme Court didn't hear it. The Republicans, I don't think, even asked for the Supreme yeah. Court to hear it. And I don't remember if the Traverse County attorney asked the court to hear it, but that never made it there. So Okay. Well, hopefully this isn't the first case that puts you in front of the Minnesota Supreme Court, because I want to hear something interesting. I want to hear, you know, new legal arguments oh. and tests. And I don't want to hear it is too late to intervene in a case that's over. That's boring. It is boring. And but you were going to have some exciting Supreme Court I bet. cases this year. I mean, I, I, I can think of a couple that are going to make their way over there for sure. So if the Supreme Court declines to hear this case, is this case finally over? Yes. I mean, theoretically, someone could try to appeal like even later than moms. But wow. I don't you'd have to have a hook, right? Like you'd have to explain why everyone's saying no to them, but yes to you. Like mm -hmm. I was living in a cave, never heard of this case and had no opportunity to intervene. And all of a sudden I'm learning, you know, I, I don't even know what you could say at this point. So like theoretically, I guess, but no, after th this should be the last step of the case. Well, then we should have, I mean, a big, big victory party, at least a victory dinner at Noodles and Company. Oh my God. That's, that sounds perfect. I could really use some like macaroni and cheese sauce or whatever. I don't even, I don't know what they have there. 
Uh, pretty much everything. They have yeah. zoodles too. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, well, let's have some victory zoodles. Victory zoodles. <laughs> this is this is where we work. This is our workplace. So I think you know, Dovey, Minnesota was really like it, again, it's a marquee landmark case for gender justice. But we are kind of entering a new phase of our big important work. And it's coming instead of through the courts, it's coming through the legislature. And you are the like guru on the right. <laughs> And so, and you did a fabulous podcast on the ERA and the language and the the working group that that you helped spearhead. So folks should listen to that. But how are things progressing with the ERA, Jess? So far, so good. I, I'm not, you know, you know how I feel about the lawmaking, the whole lawmaking and lawmaker. Like, I am not a politico type type person. My general philosophy is like the less laws, the better. Repeal them all. (laughs) And, and, you know, Erin, you know this about me already. Yes, I do. But I am kind of excited about the ERA, actually, because it will have it's going to make a huge difference in Minnesota. It's going to enshrine our right to reproductive freedom so that future courts can't try to take it away. It's going to ensure like trans rights so that, you know, future lawmakers can't ban gender affirming care. It's going to really it really has the opportunity to make a huge difference. It addresses race discrimination and disparities, which we know are we know racial disparities are rampant in Minnesota. And so we're we're I'm actually really excited about this ERA and the current language in it. And yeah, we'll see what happens. And I think it has to pass. Aaron, what what does it have to do? Uh, I believe it has to be heard in the House and pass up out of the House. And then the Senate passed a slightly different version last session. And so the House would send it back to the Senate for what we call a concurrence. So this, the House would take up the Senate version, amend it, and then they would send it back to the House or Senate for concurrence. OK, uh, that would be the most likely process. So that is. Yeah, the House has not heard it yet. So that is the next okay. step. I think it's funny because there have been like all these, you know, the like right wing anti-LGBTQ hate groups or like the, you know, people who hate women broadly, but like to say they want to protect them. They've been putting out their like messaging against the ERA. And what is so remarkable to me is they're like, if we ban discrimination against people, then women will be discriminated against. Like it is the most nonsensical like messaging that I don't even know how to respond. Like it will it will discriminate against women if we pass a constitutional amendment prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sex and gender. I don't it's you know, people the world is a rich tapestry, but it's a bold statement. It's, it's a, a it, it's a bold statement that prohibiting discrimination against women will increase discrimination against women. It seems I look, I like I'm not someone who thinks the ERA is going to solve all of our problems, right? Like it's it's going to have we're going to we're going to do the best we can with it to bring really strong lawsuits to ensure that we're, you know, safeguarding our civil rights and and I think the ERA will do a great job. It's a great tool for us to be able to do that. So it's not going to solve all of our problems, but I'm not aware of like anti-discrimination laws that like have been used to mandate, you know, it's not like you must, you cannot discriminate against women. It's like, okay, so I have to fire them. It's like, what does it mean? I don't know. 
Well, and it's funny too, because what always gets lost in all these conversations is that it's prohibiting just all discrimination. So it's not just, it prohibits discrimination against men too. Yeah, like, abso- oh, absolutely. Everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. It prohibits, yes, it prohibits discrimination against men and it's, it prohibits discrimination against sex and everyone yeah, has sex. Everyone has sex. So it is, I think it's really cool to be in this time where we have the opportunity to put to the Minnesota voters, do they want to pass the strongest eco rights amendment in the country? And that's the other part too, is coming out against a, an amendment to send to voters. What a way to knock voters and like, yeah. how you don't like them or equality. But you know what? Stand in, they should stand in their truth. At least they're saying it out loud. You know, speaking yes. of like discrimination laws leading to more discrimination, there, you know, I joke, but like there actually are examples where like, let's say white people use like anti-discrimination theories to strike down programs intended to like fix historical disparities, right? So let's say schools historically banned Jewish people and black people and women, right? And then you have a white man saying, I didn't get picked for this school because of race-based, you know, admission stuff. And so that's discrimination against me. And so that is an example of discrimination laws being used in a like counter counter to how they're intended. The cool thing about the ERA is that it explicitly would allow the government to pass laws to um, fix historical discrimination, to fix historical disparities. Right. Because we don't want the government to not be able to do that. Like sometimes the government is addressing a problem and we want them to actually address a problem. And so the one cool thing about the ERA is it does allow the government to address problems like that. Yeah. Like, you know, I think about it often when people think, you know, once Jim Crow was, you know, set on to be unconstitutional, it wasn't like everybody who was super into it was like, oh, guess we're done. Like those people still lived and carried on their ideas and right. it felt like all of the, the ways we had organized society the outcomes of those are still evident. Like, it's not like discrimination ceased to exist once the laws themselves were gone. There are still a lot of work to be done to fix the existence of those those laws, those systems. Correct. Like, if you poison a bunch of water and stop poisoning it, there's still poison in the water. You have yeah. to clean, you know? You, you have to clean the water. You have to clean the water. I, you're so much better at analogies than I am. But that's no, I, I, good analogy. Thanks so much. Well, I think the the point of getting into the whole ERA piece is just to, you know, it really would make clear and explicit in our Minnesota Constitution what has already been established by the Minnesota Supreme Court that, you know, we do have strong protections for reproductive freedom, but we we can say that and it'll be even better for this never ending Dovey Minnesota case and any case that should come thereafter yes. related to efforts to restrict our reproductive yes. freedom. And we won't have to rely on future courts being like, well, I'll find there are reproductive freedoms in Minnesota because of precedent, because we know that yeah. courts can ignore precedent when they want to ignore precedent. And Apparently. so rather than just relying on the courts to keep to to protect and expand our rights, we're going to tell them they have to protect and expand our rights. And what that's exciting. That is exciting. I, we love to tell courts what to do as voters. Yes. Well, that is our check-in about the Dovey, Minnesota case and the exciting but not uh, unusual decision yes. coming to the Court of Appeals for us. We will keep you updated. And when the case is finally, finally over, we will have a mega podcast with our plaintiffs and our attorneys 
to celebrate and debrief. Maybe we can talk about some of the weirdest things that happened during the case or, you know, some of the most exciting pieces or I don't know, whatever, whatever y'all want to talk about. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gender Justice Brief. Make sure you listen and subscribe. And we will be back next Tuesday with a whole new episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Gender Justice Brief. This show is produced by Gunter Yanel and Audrey Griegas. To keep up with our work in real time, be sure to check out the show notes for where to find us on the web, social media, and to sign up for text updates. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share to help us spread our message. Thanks for listening and see you next week.